0: authority issues podcast about leadership, management, and drinking an awful lot of fizzy water because it's still dry February. Mm. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership.
1: And I'm Kendall Miller. Wigs, wigs, wigs. They're good for morale and bald heads. Uh,
0: today on the show, we're talking with Dominique simono ritchie VP of Engineering at Wells Simple. Welcome to the show, Dominique. Welcome, welcome. Thank yes. you so much for having me. It's good to have you here. And like always, we will go right into the meat of our conversation, which is, tell us about your path to leadership. Uh, Tell us about how you got into people management. How, where did you start and what uh, brought you along the way? Yeah, I mean, I think I got into
2: computer science kind of by awareness and of just being exposed to it. And I think that's also how my path into leadership happened. I think, you know, I grew up with computers before the internet, and I got to, to try out, um, I, I did all sorts of things on my Apple 2GS, which mm-hmm. dates me a bit, uh, and, and got into computers uh, and coding, mostly because back when I started, in order to even play and communicate with people, you had to learn how to code you had to actually like create a slash command that would then do, you know, if you, depending on what you would put in as input, it could draw something different for your friends. And so maybe I got into computer science really because it was the way that I built relationships with people and, and got to yeah. communicate with people that were like me to like learn about something, which I'm very motivated totally. by learning and buying new things.
0: Yeah. I totally relate to that. So you were, I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an MRC kid as well. Um, And so you, you said you were exposed to it. Did you have, were your, was your family like into computers? Uh, Did you have parents who were programmers? Uh, Anything like that? How did you get that connection initially?
2: Yeah. So my father was a teacher and he was always trying to teach. He's an elementary school teacher and then a high school teacher. He taught science in high school and he was always trying to learn new things. And so for them, I think it was just at school, they got computers and he said, I, mm-hmm. this is great. I need to learn more. I need to use it. I need to teach it to my kids. His, and by his kids, he meant, of course, his classroom and the people that he was working with. And so we were very lucky that we were able to afford and, and get a computer so early on.
0: So then you were you were in school, you were in high school and you know using computers to communicate with your friends. I was totally a BBS kid as well. Uh, my goodness cassette tape games and uh, a yeah. really loud modem. And yeah. Um, so at, at, did you decide right away you were going to go into computer study? Did you yeah, start did that, that off in college? How did that, <laughs> yeah, how did that
2: leave so job? I, <laughs> I, you know, in Quebec, we have this crazy system. Quebec is a province of Canada. And in this province, it's the only place where you have to go to college before you go to university. And some people do very, like, very theoretical college, like science or um, humanities, but you can also do this, like, practical thing. And I'm always, I'm always like, what's the impact? What's the practical thing that I can do? And so I chose to go into computer science because it felt real to me, mostly because I knew. I considered uh, creative arts as well, because I also liked drawing and I liked doing other things. And clearly, I liked communication and people. But I realized that I could code because of the work that I had done. I had set up Linux before and you, you, know, you teach yourself Bash shell scripting. And so it, mm-hmm. it felt like a natural progression for me because of that exposure that I already had to coding.
0: I see. So you went to college uh, and chose, a, you know, do you pick a major when you're in college as well in Canada or is that separate? I, I did what's
2: called like a technical college degree. So it was 100% computer science with a few science prerequisites. I
0: okay, see. And I then you went to university.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, what was the university? What was the first job? Were you coding yeah. for 15 years? Like, just keep going.
0: <laughs> yeah. I yeah. still... So,
2: I always knew that I would end up in leadership, if I'm being honest. I, by the time I graduated college, I thought I'm going to go to university so that I can do the big picture thinking. So the amazing part about going to college is it's very hands-on. I learned the skills. I learned how to code. I, Worked thirty-two hours as a programmer on the side. I just like made my way into a company and, and learned and be, was able to practice. It was very, like an internship.
0: Um, or, sorry, we're going to interrupt you a lot. Uh, and each other. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, obvious. I love that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I um, somebody who was about to graduate was working as like a te- technical support person, and they said, "Hey, we're hiring at my company," and I I was working. I was only going to school part of the time, I won't get into that aspect of it. And so I was able to go uh, and work right away as a technical support person. But when I was doing technical support, we were using the system that needed to be programmed to have extra fields and things. And so I just started doing that at work. And then next thing I knew I was working as a programmer.
0: Ah, Okay.
1: And so like, what what was the first programming job? What was the language? What were you solving and how long did you last?
2: That's yeah. <laughs> um well the first programming job was at a a startup and it was really it was just website design which back then was mostly just like html, HTML <laughs> yeah. really Did html you, wait,
1: wait. i want to i want to know what html editor you used because i was a big hot dog fan if anybody remembers hot dog, hot dog Never heard of that. it was terrible but uh curious what you used do you remember what the ide was or were you just writing in like text edit
0: Notepad.
2: (laughs) I can't remember. It was it was an overly fancy thing for what it did. If I recall, it was it was it was quite heavyweight for the fact that we were really only writing something
0: like that. Yes, it was probably Uh, uh, Dreamweaver. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that that put so much crap into the code. I seem to remember like way stuff that needed to get cleaned out made the pages. I remember.
2: (laughs) I remember having this switch to be like, no, I'm deleting all this code that was put in here and to
0: clean up what was actually being done exactly. and then reading other
2: people's code who didn't do that and getting so frustrated because it wasn't beautiful.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a, it's a mess. I can I so relate to you. Oh my God. So then, um,
1: yeah, how'd yeah. you go, how'd you go from HTML writing into leader? What was the first leadership gig? Was yeah, it, was it in immediately after?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So when I graduated, so I went to university in software engineering where I did multiple internships, and when I graduated, um, my last internship was at IBM in a program called Extreme Blue, where they essentially do kind of entrepreneurship. They bring in students and they give you a problem and you get to work on it, and it's this really amazing program that gives you lots of flexibility in terms of what you do and lots of exposure to the company. Like you present to the CEO actually at the end of your internship, and yeah. And so when I when I graduated i decided to go back to ibm because of that exposure and what i learned about being able to navigate the system and i um joined as a software developer but in parallel i launched the first extreme blue program in my office in montreal and so i like built the program i hired interns yeah and it was so much fun
0: wow so well, t- well, tell me a little bit more about that like what, what do you yeah. mean you, you what was uh, what was extreme blue uh, what uh, how did you come to get that that program coming out of your office?
2: So the whole thing with Extreme blue is that you create an opportunity for people to build something that maybe you wouldn't usually make space for that's a little bit more innovative that maybe takes a mix of different like skill sets, like maybe that's how you bring in data science or some other skill set that maybe you don't have it on your team. And so by bringing it into the IBM Montreal Lab, we were able to try a couple of things, I don't actually even remember what they are right now. That's a little <laughs> but while a ago, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was a little while ago, um, that we wouldn't have otherwise. But then also, it just serves as this great way to get great engineers learning about IBM, the technology that we had, and what they could learn when they were working at a company like that.
1: Cool. Huh. And, and so you're hiring interns. I mean, were these all people fresh out of college and your, your first leadership gig is leading entirely people who are brand new in their careers and have no idea what they're doing. And that's. That's like, that's got to be one of the worst places <laughs> to start course, in leadership. Of you're uh, uh, you were new
0: in <laughs> leadership also, so I'm sure it, was, it went flawlessly, obviously. <laughs> totally flawlessly. It was
2: actually, you know, so I was lucky. So I did all of the hiring and I did all of the day-to-day coaching, but officially they reported to somebody else. And I think that's just like such a wonderful way to start in leadership is it's, you're kind of the you're there on the ground helping them succeed but then in terms of like coaching and performance management and some of the things that maybe take a little bit more experience to do really well you have the support of somebody that actually knows how to do that well
0: that sounds smart good job ibm yeah that's a (laughs) good idea so did you learn something then and and you realized yeah this is totally for me or and what, what happened next
1: big mistakes that stand out? What what, what do you remember from that time as a leader? There's got to be something that stands out, a success or a failure or a difficult person or something.
2: Well, so as a woman in engineering, here's what happened. My path when I became a product manager and then I went back to software development and then uh, my uh, manager at one point said, we have a project manager going on vacation, you should absolutely take that person's job and I was convinced to take on project management and I was very good technically, I'm still very good technically, I make technical decisions every day in terms about like where we're going um, with our architecture and how we're making design decisions and doing code reviews. I, But it's really interesting because there's been a pattern in my career where I often, because I'm a good communicator, because I think holistically, I'm always trying to solve the biggest problem, not just the local one, trying to connect people and really understand how we can have the biggest impact with what we do. There's always been a motivation from the leadership that I've ever worked with to get me working on whatever problem they have that they need. And often that's a problem that has a different role or a different title than software engineer.
0: Mm -hmm. And Are you pleased with that? Or do you feel like you you were kind of pulled away from what you were actually interested in?
2: I think realistically, I'm in the perfect role for me. And I love leading people. And it was absolutely that, you know, and I ultimately I made my way there. I think that I very deliberately try not to encourage that for the future. Like, so when I think when I coach women today that are software engineers, I really try to understand what drives them, what motivates them, what skills they want to learn. And we are very fortunate today. We now have like most great companies, technical leadership paths as well as a people leadership path. And I don't, I think people are all on a spectrum. Like you can choose to define your role as you become more and more senior. And I think that's actually what makes it challenging too, because you can make this amazing role like you know, as if I was a technical contributor as a leader, I would still be driving projects across the entire company. That is the type of staff developer, principal developer I would be. I would be like working on something that makes everybody else faster. There are some principal developers that will go and sit in a room for like probably three days and build, um, you know, they'll, they'll I'd be at, at Shopify actually. So when I was at Shopify, you know, we had these amazing developers that would go contribute to open source like GraphQL, and they would spend a lot of time thinking about how they can improve the system so that every contributing and building GraphQL APIs would do better. That's not the type of developer that I would I would be. And I think we have it's really awesome though that we now have this like spectrum of leadership available to us in computer science.
1: wait what do you mean that's not the kind of developer you would have been you would have if it's not SaaS, you don't want to touch it if it's not making money you don't want to be a part of it like what does it mean that 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 you that these people doing open source was different
2: oh it's not the open source aspect. it's the um i love putting all the pieces together to make something work and so when i solve problems so like one of the problems i worked on at shopify is our um we had an API that just didn't scale. So like people were using it, and they were creating queries on the back end that just made it such that we couldn't be fast, we couldn't respond yeah, quickly, bring the system in- to its in-
0: knees. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <Familiar>. Yes,
2: exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that that's like the perfect type of problem for me because it was not just our API it impacted every single API at Shopify and so then we were able to prototype and think about what the solution would look like for our one team and think through that while knowing that actually everybody would end up using that same pattern across the company and then working with every team and and getting people to to adopt the same pattern.
0: So working so with mean, them in mind that you have, you know, you had to know that everyone needed this to work in a way that made sense to them as well, rather than just, I'm solving this one problem for my team. I see.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. And it's, it's, you wanted the big complex problem rather than what you mean by the open source folks is like, they have a small thing that they're, it it may not even be small, but a focused thing that they're working on and they're going deep in and you like to be higher up looking at the bigger picture. That's what you mean. Um,
2: Yeah. So yeah, I think there are people who love to go deep and solve a problem really, really, really well and understand all of the edge cases. And I love working with those people. I think that they complement me beautifully. I can uh, I can help their make their work u- utilized by everybody and help everybody go faster by understanding. There's
0: definitely, yeah, there's, sorry. There's <laughs> definitely like a failure mode of engineering that way as well, where you just get to, you look too, too far into the weeds, solving every edge. Oh, I'm, I know so many engineers like that. <laughs> so you definitely need someone like you to say, okay, it's really cool, but uh more importantly we have to solve this larger scale problem and have you had to have you had run ins with engineers or with engineering teams that were like that and how do you work around that kind of thing how do you negotiate with them to be like put that down step away from the funk like get on with the larger picture that we are actually paying you to develop have you had that kind of situation how do you address it
2: i think you know i only came to the realization r- recently when I was working with a, an engineer that had a lot of experience. Actually, I went to university with him and then I uh, he came to work with me at Lever. And he, it was, it, for me, it's the opposite. I learned that that was valuable when I saw that his experience was like, no, we shouldn't solve this edge case. Like, let's move on. It's okay mm-hmm. if that edge case is solved by somebody picking up the phone and talking to a human. Um, mm-hmm. I think that comes with experience and I, 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 yeah. But no, I don't think I've had the, I think, you know there are there are times where maybe people go too far, but at the same time maybe that teaches them something and then teaches others that thing. Um, maybe also because it's my superpower to rein them in well, <laughs> and to help them see the bigger picture.
0: I see. So it's about communication ahead of time, instead of dialing them back from the edge later on.
1: Well, then it, I mean it. Yeah. It sounds like you should be the ultimate startup executive in terms of MVP, MVP, MVP rather than, uh, I mean, is that, so, I mean, I mean, I'm curious about that. Like you, you, you've said IBM, Shopify, you're a VP at wealth simple now. Like what were some of the things in between are, is it always been like wealth simple's not tiny. What are you 150 people or something? And, and you know, what, what have been the big ones and what have been the small ones and what worked?
2: So it's funny the the theme throughout my career since I graduated and went to IBM was that I've been trying to get back to a smaller company every step of the way and somehow semi-failing. So like at IBM, I went from IBM to actually BlackBerry QNX when we were shipping our first BlackBerry 10 phone, and I thought, oh, it's great! I'm going from a you know 400,000 person company to a 20,000
0: person. Not one. Too many bigger companies. What out I there, Yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah. Mission accomplished. Correct, yeah, exactly. Smaller, but actually the same, right? It's like, yes. ultimately, IBM in Canada was 20,000 people going to Blackberry was not that much smaller. What did make it different was that we had acquired QNX, and QNX is what powered those new phones. And so we did have kind of that startup mentality within Blackberry, um, really trying to drive new technology. And then from there, I went to Shopify and I thought, oh, Shopify, they're a small company. Like they only have a hundred engineers and they were, five, I think, no, we were 300 or 400 when I joined.
0: No. <laughs>
2: and now <laughs> when I left Shopify, I think we were at right, about a thousand developers. Not, I don't even know what size we were. Yeah. And now I think they're about 5,000 and they're hiring 2,000 this year.
1: Whew. Wow. That's yeah. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, how big is Wealthsimple, and, and and you you're finally at the smaller, quote unquote, you know, it's it's all relative kind of thing. And and what's that look like?
2: So what I learned through this experience, and also um, uh, uh, I was at Lever for one and a half years, and our engineering team was only thirty five. <laughs> So a big, big shift, yeah, is I learned that I love that I love building things well, and I love connecting people. And so I thrive when I'm at that moment where we're experiencing really, really significant growth. That means it's worth it to invest in our systems. It's worth it to do things well, both from like a people, a process, a technology perspective. And so um, while simple is at that perfect moment, we were about 500 people. Um, we have 150 engineers we um, uh, just like experienced significant growth. We, I think we quadrupled the amount of clients that we have in the last month alone. So
1: scaling Due to, due to some resilience. things happening re- regarding GameStop and a competitor of yours or? Uh... <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> so, uh, so yeah- I'm not a competitor do... because we are Canadian. Uh, that makes it simpler. <laughs> But uh so you've yeah. you've been through various sizes and you're obviously really happy with the the size of org you're leading at the moment and the fact that it's at its inflection point and growing super fast. What has been the the hardest or most embarrassing or both lesson that you've had to learn in terms of leading people to get here?
2: Oh, there's so many. <laughs>
0: <I> Excellent. Think...
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. I think that if you're constantly striving and trying to take on more and solve bigger problems, then you always, always put yourself in this vulnerable, uncomfortable position. And every step you, so every week I make a mistake at work every week, probably 10, but I at least know about one. And and one of them keeps me up at night. So two weeks ago, a month ago, I thought, you know, we haven't really embraced asynchronous communication. We're all remote. We're all from home. And we're all in meetings, or I should say all, all, many of the managers in engineering are all in meetings all day. And we're not all doing a great job of collaborating on initiatives together and helping each other. So I thought, well, let, let's have an experiment where we try new ways of working and let's have an asynchronous week. But I forgot that these managers, they they work every day with their teams and they have to adopt those systems. I'm not the one doing the hard work. I get to cancel all my meetings, but the managers have to think about, Yay. well, how am I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get to cancel my meetings and I, do get, I, I did try, you know, I, I recorded video for the team. I tried new ways of working asynchronously in our documents, like in, in like sharing ideas in different ways but the teams also had to adopt new ways of doing like their retrospectives and their standups and how they would pair program and like coming up with new norms for, can you just jump on zoom? And so like, I missed a step in there where I told leaders ahead of time. I asked for input, but actually, I probably should have worked with them and collaborated on coming up with those patterns way before we went about Mm -hmm. it. And I I make a mistake like that every week.
0: (laughs) So, how are you? So, this just happened recently. How are how are you working to resolve that like miscommunication, like level set between each other?
2: So. Our goals were to learn new patterns and try new patterns and we met that goal and so now I'm I'm bringing that all back together and making sure that I put all those learnings in one place so that everybody can learn from them and still exchange and get the benefits of of some of the experimentation that some people did really well and that others didn't have the opportunity to try as well.
0: Let me see. Are you going to are you going to try this experiment again like with more more communication in advance and so forth? <laughs> Well, I would have thought
2: no, but the feedback so far is that only 15% of people said that they wouldn't do it again. 60 said for sure they would want to do it again, and then mm. some people were undecided. Yeah, so I'll think about it. I'll share out the feedback, and I'll see what people say. I think I'm more likely to try something different. Mm. Maybe, maybe something more along the lines of like, we don't have hackathons or we don't have opportunities necessarily to give developers don't have the opportunity to just like work on their own priorities when they want to send by something slightly different.
0: Okay, cool.
1: That's so, um, how do you, it sounds like you, you did a survey afterwards to see how it went. Uh, and so that you can make some kind of data driven decision on that. However, you're pushing for change which by default it's unlikely that you're going to have a larger than fifty percent of the people say, hell yeah. I mean yeah, I even, change. I mean, even when something's really, really broken, wow. there's a lot of people that are like, I fucking hate this, change nothing. Right. <laughs> and uh <laughs> So, so how do you make data driven decisions when you're pressing for change? And of course, there's going to be like, like, what's what's a threshold at which you'd be like, Oh, that was a success. Do you have a in your mind that 40% would have been go ahead?
2: (laughs) That's a great question. I don't know the answer. I think you know, and it, it, the qualitative side of the data is that what I found really interesting is that when I announced this to the leaders and got feedback, some of them were like, but we're going to feel so disconnected. We're not going to be able to like, uh, how will we make sure that our people are okay or if they're stuck? And what I realized is that we all have assumptions, right? We all have assumptions about a way that you must have, do something in order to succeed or something else. And I had to I had to meet them on their level in terms of what they thought was possible, and what made sense. Um, I'm not really answering your question.
0: No, <laughs> you I, I, anyway. I think you are. You're getting there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you know success is people adopting some of those patterns and learning from it. It's not, you know, they don't necessarily have to agree with me, though. Of course, it feels better for me when they do. But it's not about that. It's about how can we get better as a company and how can we constantly improve and learn from our mistakes and also our successes.
1: Okay. That's, so, so that's a good answer to like problem you're solving right now, or we're solving recently and wrestled (laughs) with and failed at. Is there, I mean, are there other things like, is there something right now that you're working on tackling? Is it the same issue or what's, what's top of mind for you that, you know, there's, there's always the things at your company that you can't share that are the like actual tire fires that you need to solve. But what's, what's a thing that you can share that's, that's top of mind for you. uh, Organizationally, leadership wise. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So we have to hire at least 80 developers this year. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And and I, you know, working at Lever, which was a recruitment platform that is known for being an inclusive company, I built a team of 40% women developers while I was there being able to now come into a company where I'm growing the team by, I don't know how to do my math here, 50%. Is that how that works? If I'm 150 and we're going hiring 80 more, we have an opportunity to truly move uh, a to add to our culture because you're bringing in all these people that are going to have their own experiences, their own viewpoints, but then B to also build an extremely diverse team with people from all sorts of different backgrounds. And so I'm very top of mind for me is how do we move quickly in terms of hiring a lot of people, but then also ensure that we're constantly thinking about how they're adding to the team and how they may influence our culture moving forward. Yeah, I
1: recently, you... uh,
0: oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, Kendall. go ahead, Rachel. I you... uh, just
0: recently was with uh, something I read on Twitter. Sometimes Twitter is actually kind of cool, um, <laughs> about the, the, the issue with moving fast and how it leads to so much sameness because people are like, Oh, I know this guy, he's going to be fine. I worked with him before. He's just like he's going to fit in just fine. If you're in a hurry to fill positions, you're not going to spread your net as wide. You're not going to take as long to interview people. That kind of, is that. That's the kind of stuff you're thinking about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like I, you know, the data, the data speaks for itself. If you do not proactively reach out to people and nurture relationships with people from misrepresented groups, they aren't just going to magically apply to your company. Also most really amazing people aren't looking for jobs. They're happy in their current role or they would choose to leave only for like a truly amazing opportunity, which requires them to get awareness about what they could Mm -hmm. learn or what impact they could have where you're at. So it takes a lot more conscious effort to bring on new people that are not all the same and that actually bring new ideas and that would be able to learn something new at your company while also bringing something that maybe we don't have experience in.
1: But you you can do that, but you can't hire 80 people. So you have to instill those values in your <laughs> managers and are you just saying, hey, I really need you to hire diversely, or are you giving you quotas? or how are you gonna actually uh, make sure that happens? all
2: the ways, all the ways. And so I'm the first executive now that's introduced, uh, not quotas, but goals. So here are our goals for representation. So our current leadership is about this percentage of people from this represented group are, we want to get to this level. Um, same thing for just individual contributors. How did like, uh, so I've set goals, so high level goals. And then, um, And then it's education, then it's putting in a system that makes it easier for people to shine. So looking at our interview process, one of the great people on my team was collaborating with at least six or seven engineers on making sure that we have all of the right competencies in place. And that we're thinking about people holistically and not just as, you know, I write code and I can make it through this pair programming exercise in five minutes. Um. So like looking at our, our system and so like fixing up our system and the ways that it approach it, that we work and also teaching managers that they're responsible for hiring and that they're responsible for nurturing relationships with people because ultimately this is about people and creating opportunities for them. And some of those people may only come work for you in a year, but that's okay. Is like you start today and then eventually it all pays off. And then if they never come to work for you, you may still have met somebody that taught you something that you get to learn from and apply later on.
0: Yeah. And they had a positive experience with your leadership and they'll tell another friend who might come to work for you. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's re- that is really wise advice to get, yeah. to get the entire group involved in spreading the joy that is, you know, like come work here. I love working here. This is why. And, uh, and, you know, p- beyond the hiring part, you know, you get them in the door and you actually hire them, that's great. But if you don't create an environment where they're safe and and nurtured and can, you know, deliver on their commitments to you, uh, then it doesn't really matter, right? It's not, it, at that point, is no longer a pipeline problem.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what I, you know, I, um, this is my first time leading through so many managers. And I find it very challenging to know how does each individual feel on their team, and then how do you both set the right like I, I, I think I think about things in two ways, I think or three ways is like where are you directionally going? How does the system contribute to you get there or not in a really good way? And then how do you constantly nudge to like make sure that people are, are learning and applying and getting the feedback of where they can get better? And I, I find it so hard right now to like know, where, like, where something is broken and when I can help to really make sure we have an inclusive culture.
0: I'm envisioning something like a sheepdog situation, right? Where you've got this whole herd of people that you're trying to keep, you know, you've got the, the the higher idea, we're going to the barn, but also you individual, you know, some of them might be stopping off to eat grass over here. This is getting way out of hand. Like you're having to nudge them back into the fold and, and, and be everywhere at the same time. And and that's that's just the picture that came, out, came to my mind. Is that kind of how you relate to it or, uh, or am I way off base here?
2: No, I I, do, I think that's how I relate to it. I think in, in many cases too, it's not even that I have this vision. It's like a couple of people are doing amazing things. And, you know, one of the teams I work with, they do something called feedback sessions where everybody gets in a room and they all give each other feedback. And that is amazing. They all learn from each other. So you don't just get feedback from your manager. You get feedback from your peer. Isn't that awesome?
0: <laughs> it sounds awesome, but it also sounds fraught with peril. Yes. Like, that, that was do you teach me people me. how to give the feedback before? Because there's a lot of rules about how that's supposed to work, right? Is, is there a program to teach I, people I how to do that?
2: Do. So I think they do because this is a, a practice that they have only on their team. Actually, at Lever, we did that on multiple teams as well. It was a practice that we had in place. And there we had some really good systems to make sure that people were successful. But like we have pockets of teams that do really interesting things that are meant to promote psychological safety and, and inclusion. How do we, how do we help, you know, when you're going off to, the, to eat some grass on one side and like that's something that maybe another, another team should also be thinking about or could benefit from, how do you bring them all kind of together while also still giving them the opportunity to be unique? Each team doesn't have to follow the exact same, you know, beat to the same drum. It's more, how do we exchange all of those and help all of us get better?
1: Pick and choose. So, yeah, well, so not each team has to follow to the beat the same beat of the same drum. Oh my gosh, I are you literally just said <laughs> it and I already can't get it right. But um so you're you're talking there a little bit about your leadership philosophy and you know you're you're revealing a lot in that statement. Uh and but you know, the, the question we ask everyone on this, talk about your relationship to authority. Like, how do you feel about having authority over others? And it sounds like you feel some freedom there. What do you what do you feel like when other people have authority over you? Uh, Talk about that.
2: Mm -hmm. I think about authority in two different ways. I think about it from a control perspective, but also kind of like a policy and a rules perspective. And my relationship with rules is that I feel like rules are there to inform how we should behave multiple times and to help you make the right decisions. But ultimately they should all they should all be meant to be broken when you're trying to get to the why. And so my relationship with authority is if people don't meet me at my why and give me the why behind the policy or the rule or the thing, then I have trouble buying um, I, in. I ultimately do. Yeah, yeah. I always question. I'm always asking why. What? Why are we doing this? What should we do? I think it's also why. I became a leader and I keep become taking on more and learning more and, and you know asking for more. Like I ultimately became a VP because I, I asked for it. I, I became a manager when I was promoted to managers because I asked for it and I continuously asked for it, not just once, but like multiple times. Never
0: once have I been promoted without asking, actually. I think that's- Oh, that's an interesting thing. How do you feel about that? I mean, obviously, you made your way through it by asking. And that's amazing. Uh, A lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that. But uh, do you are you a little resentful that you've never had to ask or never had to, you know, you've always had to ask? I mean, Mm, deep thoughts.
2: Yeah, I'm a little bit resentful about one experience in particular, where clearly I was already having the impact. And there was an opportunity to do more. And it took a while to get that going and actually as i said that i realized that at blackberry and QNX it's the opposite that was the only time in my career that i pr- that i really had somebody like invest in me and take chances and say and and give me an opportunity based on potential versus previously having mm. discovered that impact and that really influences me as a leader and, and i really think that it, I, I believe a lot in sponsorship and creating opportunities for people And it comes from that experience I had at BlackBerry and QNX where like literally like the co-founder at one one point said, well, why don't you just take this other team? You know how to lead one team, take another team, see what happens. And then that happened a few times. And that's how I became a a lead of leads versus being a lead. And that leap can be very difficult for many. And you have to be at a company that's growing often in order to make that happen. And I was lucky enough to to work somewhere where they just proactively said like, ah, you can do this. Go for yeah.
1: it. Well, and so I want, I want to go back to, uh, or Rachel, were you about to say something? No,
0: go ahead. Okay. Thanks.
1: Uh, it it looked like, or you said, um, I want to know why I'm always going to ask why, why, why. Right. So, so the way you handle that as a leader has to be, you're communicating the why all the time. Right. I mean, do, does that lead to you really casting vision for your people to, you know, rather than, Uh, Dominique coming over the top saying, this is what we're doing, period, full stop. It's a lot of, hey, this is why I'd like to, to head in this direction and why I think we should do, like, is that what it leads to? Does it cause you to vision cast constantly?
2: I think I want to get there. I think that vision is really helpful and a really useful tool to help people to buy in and to find their ways of solving. I am also, as I said earlier, a very practical person that's constantly thinking about, like, what does that success look like today? I think I'm also learning as a leader that I have to be more explicit about what success looks like in order to make sure that we get the results that we need, like, tomorrow. Um, so it's a careful balance. I don't think it's just vision, and I don't think you can ever be successful with just vision because ultimately we we win or we lose by the thing that we do today, the decision we make in the next moment <laughs> and which comes to fruition later maybe when when we have crazy growth, maybe we made the right decision <laughs> or maybe we didn't.
0: yeah, it's a bit yeah. like that it's like, like the reverse of having that hurting instinct. you have to kind of constantly adjust uh, the path you're going in as well just based on current realities you know you're Mm -hmm. definitely you have you're heading in a certain direction but maybe the river changed paths and you have to go Mm -hmm. around it or you know those kinds of things lots Mm -hmm. of uh i
2: think my ideal to go back to leadership for a second it's like i think my ideal my ideal picture of leadership is like, if you know what people's pain points or passions are at any, at any place in your team, and you can connect that to something that ideally needs to happen for other reasons, or maybe a problem that's worth solving today based on changing conditions, and give them all of the scope and the power and the help that they need to succeed, like that is like my magic, like bottoms up, yet still solving the most important problem
0: that could, if I could do that every day for every problem, that would make me so happy. A success kit, basically. <laughs> Bring all the parts together and sell it as a kit. That's leadership.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Huh. Well, what's I mean? Change gears and tell us about Dominique outside of work. Uh, yeah. What's what? What are hobbies or what do you what do you do in the hours that are not filled with work things?
2: Yes. Well, right now it's. February and so I'm starting to plant some seeds in order to grow all my seedlings for a vegetable garden this summer. So that's very nice. exciting.
1: In okay. indoors or out? You're not. It's not. You're you're in Canada, right? I mean, it's not. You can't plant stuff outside. <laughs> yet. Uh,
2: no, yeah, no. It's <laughs> there's still snow outside, and so I'm yeah. starting them all indoors. I've got my little grow lights, and I'm planting. I'm planting peppers and tomatoes and getting that started right now. Is that so? Yeah. Is that new this I year? Have, oh, sorry that was a perfect timing thing with the pandemic last year where I've done it in the past. And I decided that I wanted to go all in the week that we all had to come work from home. I was like, this is perfect. And I started watching all my little plant babies while I was working from home. So that was really fun.
0: So you're repeating. I I also
2: have two kids. Yeah. I also have two kids and I think my, I have a bit of an obsession. Everybody who knows me knows this. I'm obsessed with whole grains. I love to teach people about whole grains and how to eat more of them. Um, And and it comes from having kids and having to decide what they eat every step of the way. Not decide, but like when they're born and they start eating, you essentially make the decision before they, they start having an opinion. And so I questioned every like product that I bought, every food, like what was in it and where did it come from. And I've, as a result, I'm now, um, I love teaching people about whole grains.
1: Awesome. So- So, so growing things and whole grains. Do you have any other non-plant-based
0: plant-related interests?
1: I mean, even your children are plant-based at this point. It sounds like from their diets
0: perspective. Yeah. Well, I
2: mentioned art. I did um, oil painting for like ten years growing up, and our audience can't hear, I can't see this now, but behind me, I have two watercolor paintings that I did a few months ago. And so so I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I painted these lemons, also plants because I'm also <laughs> growing a lemon tree hopefully maybe three years from now I will have a lemon <laughs> nice. so, uh,
1: yeah <laughs> awesome
2: yeah so I, I like I like art a lot um but I probably don't make as much time as I would in a, in a maybe maybe in a few years I like to go really deep when I'm learning something or doing something and go all the way in um and so i did that for like three weeks i i did that was my whole desk was cleared i took vacation and i painted for three weeks
0: wow is that good for your like mental health that a way you unwind is uh is to paint
2: yeah i think Finding activities that I love and that excite me that I can be like, yes, this is something I'm going to do is really important to my mental health. So like for me right now, it's actually the seeds, like looking up, like what can I plant? OK, so it's it's February in Toronto. I have this many weeks until I can actually go outside. As you said, Kendall, I can't plant this outside yet. What can I start today? What can I do? And having that kind of like my own goals that are outside of work are what keep me sane.
0: That's cool. Um, and let's see, we're coming up on uh, approaching time. Is there anything else you want to ask, Kendall? Are we good?
1: Um, I mean, you always like to ask, and let's 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 ask this real quick: Is how has becoming a leader affected your personal life? Um, are you uh, are you an authoritative mom?
0: <laughs> That's not usually how I ask it, Kendall. But okay,
1: <laughs> I, I I did take some creative license there, so.
2: Oh, you know what's hard about children? You can't control them as much as you want to.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep.
2: And they're also not rational beings.
1: Oh, you have boys, I take it you have boys oh yes
2: yeah i have two boys and they are not rational my girls
1: are quite rational it's my boys that are that are completely nuts uh yep keep going (laughs)
2: Yeah, i mean one of them is also three so i think that part of his brain is still developing
1: um but definitely
0: like get used to it (laughs) dang so i'm looking promising dominique i'm sorry
2: (laughs) Oh, no, it's like, how many arguments have we had about something that's like physically not possible? You know, like gravity works this way or the picture's already been drawn on. I can't erase the marker mark that's on the piece of paper. And,
0: and there's nothing you can do. And it's really, really difficult. Oh, um, like that reasons my kid is crying. Twitter feed, Yeah. <laughs> no, <the laughs> no, the thing oh, gets yeah. Me is, Love that. Is-
1: when my son has chocolate all across his face and it's literally next to his bed, and I'm like, Why did you get up and take a brownie in the middle of the night? And he's like, It wasn't me. How could you even think it was me? What, what you have no proof? And I'm like, Lie better. Like, come on. It's amazing. Um, so, yeah, do you bring your leadership yeah.
0: skills to bear with these situations? <laughs> I don't know that they necessarily I'm trying
2: work. <laughs> No, I don't know. I think that I try to ask a lot of questions and I try to listen. I find it very, very hard. You know, and your children, they know exactly what your buttons are, exactly mm-hmm. how to get you better. Exactly. You know, they, they know you too well.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. Well, um yeah i can see i can see as long as i've been a leader I, th- those skills for me at least for the most part don't translate at home like maybe maybe i learn a few things and stop and think i know what what being a leader t- shows me is how bad i am at being a leader at home uh that's the thing that's <laughs> super clear to me if
0: only you could just find oh your that's kids so well then. said <laughs> I mean, Um, I don't have kids, so I'm just, I'm just, I don't uh, want to fire my kids.
1: I just want to put a manager in charge so that I don't have to, I can be one step removed. Uh. (laughs) Well, Well, uh, speaking of
0: getting to know you a bit better, um, I want to ask you, where can people find you on the internet? If they have questions.
2: Yeah, they can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Dominique SR on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Medium, but I only have one article published. I think that's one of my my big goals in the past year and moving forward is to speak to more people and to learn. I think you get better at something when you teach it to somebody. And so if I can capture more of my ideas and my thoughts, I will get better at them myself. And then hopefully I help others through that process. So I'm also on Medium under Dominique simona Sweet. I'll put
0: that right. in the show notes. Thank you so much right. for joining us.
1: Yeah, that was great. Appreciate it.